Hello, and welcome to Pre-Published. I'm Sophia. This episode is called Funny and Dark. I've talked to several authors and a couple of editors now, but I haven't spoken to someone who's normally the first to see a submission, the literary agent. So I was thrilled when Stephanie Thwaites agreed to a chat. What are agents looking for? How do you impress them with your submission? What happens if they make you an offer? Stephanie, who's been with Curtis Brown since she started 16 years ago, talks to me about all things agenting. We recorded this episode in February 2020. Links to the resources we mentioned are listed in the show notes, so do look them up if you want to find out more. I hope you enjoy our conversation. I'm very pleased to be here today um, in Curtis Brown's offices on Haymarket. In fact, a stone's throw away from where I used to work back in the 90s. So um, I feel like I'm on kind of old ground. It's lovely. And I'm with Stephanie, who has very kindly uh, agreed to talk to me today about the life of an agent. And I have so many questions for her. So first of all, Stephanie, welcome to Prepublish. Thank you. I wanted to ask you first of all the thing I'm sure listeners will will want to know the answer to, which is, what are you looking for right now? So it's a really tricky question because sometimes you come across things you don't really know that you're looking for and then you absolutely fall in love with them. Um, but I think, I mean, I, I love middle grade and YA, but I think at the moment I'm probably looking for more middle grade, funny books um, and dark books um, and maybe funny and dark together too. Fantastic. And and what about picture books? Do you represent picture books as well? Yeah, I do do picture books, but at the moment I'm not doing a huge number of new picture books. I tend mm-hmm. to be just working with the clients I already represent. And among those, I was looking through the, the list uh, online this morning. So you have Tom Fletcher on your list, yes, I gather. Right. So that's quite impressive as far as funny books go. Um, and Francesca Simon. Yes. Um, Catherine Johnson, who I'm a big fan of, and and John Steinbeck, yes, yes, <laughs> and A. Milne, yes, yes. So um, you don't have to be alive to be alive. <laughs> um, no, I'm so uh, fortunate to represent those two uh, hugely prestigious uh, estates, mm. and I'm probably jumping ahead to answer some of the questions you haven't asked yeah. yet. Um, but when I first joined, I inherited certain Curtis Brown clients mm. who've been, you know, been with the company for a long time, and that included the estates of E.H. Shepherd and A.A. Milne, and also the Steinbeck estate too. Are you doing anything with them at the moment as well? Yeah, I mean, I think it's important with estates and with clients who aren't who are no longer living Mm. um, to still make sure that there's new activity generated all the time and bring new readers to the books. Um, So we always have kind of program of new publishing as well as you know sometimes it's refreshing the uh, existing editions or looking at continuation publishing or sequel publishing I oversaw the first authorised sequel for Winnie the Pooh uh, the return to the 100 acre wood um, quite a number of years ago now and um, we are looking to do similar there's also been another sequel since then The Best Bear and uh, we are looking to do more in the future so watch this space your day must be fascinating so Tom Fletcher to yeah (laughs) quite I mean that's what I love about (laughs) the job really is it's just so different um each day is there are so many unexpected things that come your way and it's really thrilling actually that variety I think that's what keeps it so interesting and so stimulating and did you always want to be an agent I knew from the first day I did work experience here at Curtis Brown um that this was just the perfect job for me and um yeah I, I never left 
16 years later I'm still here. <laughs> That's so, amazing. Um, so what made you apply? Was this straight out of university? So I yeah I actually did some work experience at a publishing PR company Midas mm-hmm. um, for six weeks and then came to Curtis Brown. Um, my sister my brother was a journalist my sister-in-law worked in TV and they both suggested I you know explored publishing um, but I loved the agenting side because I love being so close to the authors and to the text and seeing them in their rawest form when they first well you probably don't feel and I'm sure the <laughs> writers out there wouldn't perhaps appreciate it being called raw um, but seeing it at that early really early stage mm-hmm. um, and getting to work really closely with writers throughout their whole career um, and I think what really appealed to me too is that marriage between the creative and the business side too um some people I, I suppose some people find the the, con- the contract side not as interesting yeah. I love that I love a chart I love a table I love and negotiations as well um particularly when they go the right way <laughs> uh, looking around this office I can see that it must be a lovely place to work it's it's bright and um I'm looking at an absolute wall of books and I suppose the great thing about being an agency is you represent so many different types of authors. We're just surrounded by every type of book you could imagine, aren't we? Um, yes, hardbacks and paperbacks and um, adult and children's and nonfiction and fiction. And Yeah, it feels like a very vibrant place to be. Yes, yeah, definitely. And actually, I mean, the company has grown so much. When I first joined, uh, we, there were just 60 employees and we're now at 250. Um, and the agents here represent actors and directors and screenplay writers, as well as obviously on the book side representing authors too. Um, but we also have really exciting sister companies like Cuba, a production company that was set up and grown from um, internally. So that started off within Curtis Brown and it's now um, part of the group. And the same with Curtis Brown Creative, our creative writing courses. Um, And um, what I love about the company is that they really support that development of of innovative, different ideas. And I think Cuba and CBC are both a testament of that too. Um, We've also had other companies join us. C&W is our sister agency. um, And um, there are various others as part of the group now too. Um, But it feels like it's a company that is evolving and growing, but also supporting and nurturing its employees too, um, which is why I suppose I've stayed here for such a long time. Yes, it's, it's good to see it that way. It can be so easy to picture agents, sort of a couple of people in a, in a dark little office in Bloomsbury somewhere, kind of beavering away over a Dickensian desk, but it's not like that at all, yeah, is it? Yeah, and, but it, there's still that. And I think sometimes the a big agency is perceived to be intimidating or corporate and and not have that kind of personal touch Mm. but here we've got agents who are working away on their own lists who have those personal relationships with their individual clients but we're also able to work really collaboratively and share resources and share information too and support one another Um, so actually I think we've got the best of both worlds as a big agency we still have that kind of intimate feel as well. Brilliant Um, so my long list of questions for you Um, Can you tell me about how you found some of your clients? So, I mean, there are a few different ways um, we find clients. Sometimes we might make approaches, but um, more often than not, people... And by by make approaches, I don't mean to existing authors who are already represented. I mean, perhaps to journalists or people who are creative, you know, writing 
are working in other industries whose right. skills might lend themselves to books or to children's books. Um, so that's one way. Um, we are open and very much open for submissions and, and welcome new submissions. And we've got a, a portal that we created to hopefully make the submission process easy and straightforward for people who want to send their manuscript in. Um, am, am I right in thinking with, with the portal that you as, a, as someone who's submitting, you don't have to specify which agent you would like. If you don't want to, you can. Yeah, that, I mean that's an option. You can, or you don't, or you don't have to. So it yeah. could just go to um, to the company generally, or you can. I mean, I think it usually is a good idea to specify yeah. which agent you'd like to read it. Um, and actually, when you're submitting to agents generally, I think it's important to do a bit of homework beforehand. So I think it's important to target the right person. You don't want to send a, a romance novel to someone who's ta- taking on only thrillers. Yes. Um, and you want to make sure that person is open to submissions in the area that you're writing. Yes. Um, so do you find that the people that you've taken on have on the whole submitted to you personally? Yes, I would say so. Um, and the other thing, so the other place actually, we, we find a lot of students through our creative writing courses. Yes. Um, so all the agents are often quite involved. We'll go in and speak to the students, um, do an event with an editor or with an, an author. Um, and then our, we'll, we'll find we'll get submissions sometimes directly from those students. Um, and the course has been running since 2011 and we have 80 of our students have gone on to get publishing deals 80 yes gosh that's impressive yeah yes they've got a great track record there's amazing team at cbc um and the courses are really fantastic so we see really brilliant material coming through those courses it's something i do say to students is that agents are are out looking for you (laughs) yes you're good yes they're going to conferences they're they're making themselves available they're taking part in panel events they're trying to find you definitely um, but it, nevertheless, it helps for people to get their submissions right. And we will we will um, talk about that. I'm always interested when I started submitting, which was um, back in the late 90s, I suppose. This is my days of just constant rejections. Um, I remember um, everything had to be typed, double line spaced, um, single sided and held together with an elastic band, not put in a plastic folder. And it was all very specific. And what I loved was discovering later on why so somebody telling me well if you if you're getting you know hundreds of submissions and they're all in plastic folders then the pile just physically topples over that's why you want well also the time it takes to actually take if you you know thinking about going through hundreds of submissions the time it takes to take each one out of the plastic folder (laughs) you're wasting precious time you could be reading it so (laughs) So, i remember those days really well so none of it was was just sort of fanciful it it all had very practical yeah it must have seemed bizarre to be on the other side i suppose it really did um you wrote a fantastic blog post for um for Curtis Brown Creative called Writers Not Bakers about yes. those days when people physically sent stuff in. So I'd love to hear some of your stories about the, the days before email. Yeah, well, I mean I think I write in the post about the um the Battenberg cake, which was one of the most bizarre things I think that's been that have been sent in. Um, but we used to get a lot of we used to get money. Um I suppose that was perhaps towards the postage, but sometimes it was you know <laughs> it might be <laughs> Take some sort of bribe yes yes um or we'd get photographs as well um i suppose people wanting to present themselves but actually um you know it it, it always depends on the manuscript itself so something like having a, a photo alongside it i don't think was ever particularly helpful or persuasive yes um, however um, good they looked in the photo. <laughs> 
Um, but nowadays, there aren't really the opportunities for people to be quite so physically creative because it is, it's either the form, isn't it, or, or submitting to you by email. Um, so what mistakes do writers currently make these days? In terms of in the submission? Yes. What are they doing wrong? Um, well, I'm, I might just that turn that around and say what I think is makes a really compelling submission yeah um, and I think the most important thing is that covering that opening letter I think being professional but also friendly striking the right balance not trying anything that is too gimmicky because actually I don't think the gimmicks really work at that stage mm. it is about the manuscript it's about the writing um, and it partly about the personality of the person too because that will come across on the page page as well and as an agent that's a really important part and as it's important for new writers too they want to gel and click mm. with the agent they're going to be working with we hope this is going to be a long-term relationship so we want to make sure that we can get along um, and that we'll be on the same page um, from the beginning uh, so I think coming across well but while still being yourself in that opening mm. letter is really key um, Keeping it quite short is always good. Everyone's so time poor. I think having quite a punchy, um, compelling opening letter, um, saying why you're approaching that particular agent is always, mm. is I think, always helpful. It shows that you have done that homework. Um, a bit about the manuscript, where you might, where you see it sitting. If you don't know, I think that's also fine. Great. Um, but probably, and if you can include a comparison of the kind of book that it might sit alongside. I think that just shows that you have an awareness of of publishing that's contemporary publishing as well. I mean, sometimes I'll, I'll see references to books that the author might have read as a child. Yes. And that's fine if you're saying these are my influences, but I think um, suggesting that something will sit alongside sort of great classic work is it kind yes. of demonstrates that you probably <laughs> yeah yeah. Uh, yeah aren't that up to date with your references and I think yeah. it is useful as a new writer to have that awareness even just go into your local bookshop and see what's out there on the tables and read a few and get a get a feel for what else is out there and should they mention how long it is yeah, I actually, funny enough, I've been on panels before where other agents really like that. But for me, I just, I don't really find it very interesting to okay. know how long it is. Right. Um, and I don't think it's a crucial piece of information to put up at the top of your letter. Mm. I mean, perhaps you could look at it, you know, put it later down. But actually, when you open the manuscript, you can see how long it yeah. is now anyway. So perhaps that's a hangover from the, from those sort of old days of the physical manuscript yeah. where you wouldn't be able to see. Um, and I just think it takes up like, precious time in your covering letter <laughs> that you could use saying something else that's more interesting yeah going back to the the voice um i've known people have been tempted perhaps more with synopses than covering letters but but nevertheless to use the voice of their book particularly if it's a middle grade book to keep selling the story and you don't really want that, do you? You don't want a covering letter in, in that voice if it's particularly funny, bouncy, whatever. You want to get to know the writer behind it, I assume. Yeah, I mean, you'll see that voice on the page as soon as you open the submission. Yeah. So the purpose of the covering letter is really just to, to get people to want to open that submission and start reading. Um, I mean, I suppose there's an argument for if it's really, you know, such a, it's a really strong voice then perhaps that would work occasionally I've seen a quote in the covering letter from yeah. the book um but I think it's I I think just a really straightforward clear letter is probably better than trying to do anything too different or too 
clever in the letter. But maybe that makes me really <laughs> traditional. So, and where, I, not something I, I sort of planned to ask you, but I'm interested to know, where do you tend to be when you are opening these emails? Are you, are you at your desk? Are you on the train? Could it be absolutely anywhere? Yeah, I mean, actually, probably could be anywhere. Um, at my desk, um, at my desk at home, um, out and about, walking in between meetings. <laughs> um, probably shouldn't be doing that quite dangerous um while crossing the road um no yeah it could be anywhere but I think um I probably won't always read it at that moment I open the letter as well um I read a lot of my kindle for work so I'll send it to my kindle and start reading my kindle I mean sometimes though the letter does make you want to open it and start reading it straight away I mean and that's when you know it's something potentially <laughs> really exciting. So, yeah. And so, how do you do it? Do you do the cover letter first, and then synopsis, and then, then no, book? I don't read the synopsis really. Okay. So, I know there's uh, a lot of angst. We, yes, yes, we slave over these things. Yeah, no, sometimes I read it, but I will never read it until I've read the first three chapters okay. and I like them. Right. So it's got to be those opening pages that really sell it. I think the opening pages and the covering letter useful to know because <laughs> we really don't enjoy this synopsis. Yes, don't do one it's fine not to do one <laughs> if you found something that you like but for various reasons it's not for you would you ever pass it on to somebody else within the agency yeah sometimes yeah yeah we do that a, f- a fair bit um so there are yeah there are other agents i would i would suggest that they send it to or in, i would introduce them to and how often would you give a writer feedback if you're not thinking of taking it on? If we've enjoyed something, we tend to give a bit more detail when we go back. Yeah. Um, so not just a standard letter. We'll try and give a few pointers. Sometimes we might be on the fence and want to see it again. So we'll say that. So we'll okay. make some suggestions um, and be open to receiving it again at a later, a later point. Um, or... More often, I mean, a lot of the time we do work with writers to polish the manuscript before it goes out anyway. So we'll spend quite a long time working on it together. Um, That's already when they got through the magical portal. Yes, <laughs> yes, you, yeah, Of you taking them on. But, it, but it's, I think it's probably worth saying that I don't think I've ever sent a book out as it's come in. Yes. So just to be prepared that there will be some more work. Yes. With me anyway, maybe <laughs> other agents might work differently. Um, but that seems to be the, the, the common thing. So if somebody gets a, a rejection letter with feedback included in it, they, they should see that as a really positive step that you liked it enough to yeah, give definitely. them some yes. further thoughts. Yeah, I'd hope so. Um, and hopefully it would be helpful. And we're always trying to decode rejection letters. Is, is, that, is there anything we should look out for? Is there any code that you're ever deliberately putting into them? No, but I think if we want to see it again, we will say, please send it again. You know, we'd be happy to see anything else that you write. Okay. Um, and I think if we don't say that, then it's probably best not to resubmit the same manuscript. Yep. So I'm interested to know how many new writers you might take on in a year, perhaps, something like that. Yeah, I mean, so it, it, it does depend. Um, it can vary from year to year. We can also be working with writers we've taken on for quite a long time. Yeah, so, this is something I never think about, of um, course. Sort of imagine you've got the agent and that's it. But that can be the start of a process, yeah, can't it? Yeah, no, I mean, they're, they're, so I would say probably between five and ten a year. Um, and we'll be working with that number. So I can think of, off the top of my head, maybe six 
um, new clients I'm currently working with, we're polishing their manuscript, they're at different stages. Um, and I would hope this year they'd be ready to go out. But a lot of the time, as you'll, you know well, um, children's writers particularly have other jobs as well. They yes. have really you know busy lives. It's actually amazing that they manage to find the time to write amidst that, you know, having a, another full-time or even part-time job. Yeah. Um, so that does mean it can be slower. We'll take somebody on, but actually we may not end up submitting it for another year because we might go through a few drafts together before it's ready. Um, I I don't ever want to send out a manuscript before we feel it's right and it's as polished as it can possibly be. And I feel that's a really important part of my role as an agent is to work with new writers to help get the manuscript in the best possible shape before we go out to publishers. So you're working with perhaps half a dozen people at a time. Is that right? Yeah, something like that. Yeah, yeah I think at the moment that's it. But between six and ten. I think that's really encouraging, actually. Would you take on a writer if they'd done a fantastic book, but they were very clear that that was it, they didn't want to do any more? Or do you think it's important that you're building someone's career? I think occasionally with nonfiction, there will be a book that is just that book. Mm. Um, And I think that's fine. But it's also pretty unusual because I think once you've got the writing bug, you can't really (laughs) shake it off. And most people want to carry on writing um, and want to carry on being published for a long time. So, And usually most writers, and particularly with fiction, will have another idea that, they're, that they've been mulling over or they've even started working on while they're submitting their, their first book. Certainly true for me. Um, but did, So it sounds as if that's, that's kind of supporting the writer in what the writer wants to do. Is there an element of a what the publisher would want that they would want someone to be submitting more than one again I think it's pretty rare for fiction mm. that writers just have that one yeah. fiction idea and I think with non-fiction that's you know publishers will accept sometimes that it's just that one book but you yeah. are right that I think publishers tend to want to build and grow an author so they do usually want more than one book from that author. Yes, I'm always encouraging my students to <laughs> be thinking about the other ones as well. Um, I don't know, listeners, you might be able to hear there's some really interesting plumbing going on behind me here um, as this, this lovely room heats up. So if you can hear a, a ticking noise in the background, it's the pipes. So when you come to work on a pre-published writer um, and, and look at their manuscript with them, what sort of things do you generally end up helping them out with? I think whatever, I guess whatever it feels like it needs. So um, I've had writers where the book has been, or they felt the book was YA, but actually it needed to be middle grade. Yeah. So we've turned it into middle grade. Um, We've added elements, plots, subplots, characters, diary entries, um, all sorts really. So um, we are quite hands on. Um, It's not Actually, I mean, often I say, "Oh, it's just a few tweaks here and there." <laughs> and then, <laughs> that famous, yeah. Uh, I've just got developed a into of notes, a bit more than twenty that. pages later. Yeah. <laughs> but I actually find that that on the whole, I mean, either they're really good at pretending, but most people do really enjoy that part of the process. Yeah. And particularly if you've been writing on your own for a while, actually having that feedback and having that sort of professional eye on the on the manuscript um, can be really helpful, and it can be really enjoyable. 
<laughs> once you've got over the initial shock of it no I mean and it's also it's not about transforming the book into a different book from the book that you're writing yeah it's just about making sure it's putting its best foot forward um and it's the best it can be I mean again you'll go through that stage again with the publisher so it's good practice in a way um and it will be you know they'll, they'll do more substantial edits or the publisher will but um but yeah, I mean, I can't help being opinionated and offering my opinion, <laughs> I think. Right, and yeah, most of the time it's welcome. I talked a lot about sort of from the writer's point of view, what we have to do to get your attention. And I haven't really talked about what, what it is that you then do. So you're negotiating with publishers and, and perhaps other things. Could you just talk a little bit about what, what happens when you've got a manuscript you're happy with in your hands? Yes. Yeah. So um, I would already, I mean, when I start to read a manuscript, I'm already thinking of the individual editors I think it will appeal to, even before we start working together. So I'll already have that in mind really early on. Mm -hmm. who this will appeal to, which editors and which publishing houses. So then it will be my job when we've got the manuscript ready to go out and make those approaches, to speak to those publishers and to pitch the book to them. Yeah. Um, and then, it, you know, the, the books, each book has a different path, but hopefully you'll get at least one, possibly, you know, several um, publishers interested um, and then it will be about navigating that situation and how we negotiate the best possible deal. Sometimes it will be meetings with different publishers to work out which publisher. Dep I mean, sometimes that's not feasible, so mm. it could be phone conversations. Um, and I will guide the, the writer through that process too and give my guidance and, this, and give a steer too on who the best fit might be and why. We'll look at the way that the, the rights are acquired, whether the publisher's going to acquire world or language rights which means they can sell the book throughout the world and they pay an advance for that yeah. um, and then part of that advance comes back to the author or if we're going to retain some of the translation rights so some of the international rights in different languages we might retain and exploit those separately for the writer um, so we'll just we'll weigh up all the different options together make a decision about who the best partner is going to be um, and then I'll negotiate the best possible deal and one of the great things I think about Curtis Brown is that we obviously have so many heavyweight clients that we can use that to leverage the best possible terms and deals for the for the clients who the brand new clients who we're negotiating for as well um, and we'll then draw up the contract or make sure the contract's drawn up with the publisher we'll um process the whole all the sort of financial side of things too but we'll be there along the path to publication which as, as you know can be quite a long one yes you sign the deal but then the book may not be published for another year or a year and a half um so there's quite long periods of lulls and then suddenly everything's sort of happening as well yes. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so great urgency and then like <laughs> deathly quiet um so but we'll be there throughout that um and making sure that the publisher's doing what they're supposed to be doing at every stage of the process too. Um, getting involved if there's anything that, you know, is ch challenging for the, the writer or when you're a new writer, just explaining things as well because it is a, often a new, a completely new area. Um, and um, it can all seem a bit weird sometimes, the publishing world. So yes, um, uh, we're here to sort of explain and advise.
And you will collect the royalties from publishers and then pass them on to authors too. Yeah, exactly. So then further down the line, we'll process the royalties. We actually have, I think we're the only agency to have a royalty analysts. Oh. Um, and they um, do kind of really thorough analysis of our of the statements that come in. Um, yeah. And they're really amazing and find lots of errors often in our favour. Mm. Interesting. That's yes. <laughs> another good reason for having yeah. an agent. I wanted to talk to you briefly about ebooks. I'm very interested because I've just started writing for adults now, and mm-hmm. ebooks are a really big thing. Yes. Um, less so um, with children's publishing, I've found with everyone that I've spoken to. Um, in terms of the rights and the way they're exploited, I know when I signed my first contracts, <laughs> uh, it was all about, well, we'll do something with the ebooks maybe one day. Um, and it was all kind of parked. But now I imagine that it's much. Um, it's a much more important part of a contract. Is is the industry changing in the way it thinks about ebook work? Yeah, I mean, I think it's it has in the time since I've been uh, working in publishing changed enormously. I mean, they emerged; they didn't exist, you know, when I first started. Um, but um, yes, I mean, now they are considered part of the the um, publisher's rights alongside the print rights too. So the ebooks will be part of that print book contract too and there should be an ebook strategy on the adult side particularly mm. um yeah less so on the children's side but audio is becoming more and more important now too um and having audio editions the audio editions actually are so much better too than they used to be i don't know if you remember but i mean now there are really fantastic audio editions out there i do um, notice i'm listening to books on audio an awful lot more than i ever did it's becoming just easier and more straightforward yeah and they're becoming available because you didn't always find that the audio version would be available yeah now it's quite unusual that it it's not available and it should uh, really be published simultaneously with the print edition too so it's available right from the moment the print edition is available so we talked about um the kind of books that um that you've been looking at for recently what what do you think the future trends might be in children's books I think there is a really strong demand for funny books, funny books with heart. Um, I think it's such a great way of bringing new readers into reading. Readers who might not think that they're readers um, can actually really sometimes connect with humour. Um, if you look at things like Tom Gates or Diary of a Wimpy Kid or Sam Copeland's uh, books, Charlie Changes Into a Chicken was the first one, or the Kid Normal series. Mm. Um, and just those, those funny but with some depth stories that I think readers can really connect with yeah often it's about an outsider who finds a way of belonging in in throughout the course of the book as well um but stories that are that are yeah that are funny but also confront sort of issues that children might be facing too um yeah I think there's a lot of brilliant uh, middle grade adventure and fantasy out there um at the moment I do really love that and would love to find more of that um yeah often with a sort of dark dark feel to it too um witches i love witches anything oh, witchy yes i know a lot uh, of people writing witchy stuff yes yeah um i'd love to find more witch more witch stuff and i think that there's there's an appetite for horror as well i've just sold a new um horror book i'm really excited about and um yes i think there's definitely room for more in that space ya is a bit harder at the moment. I was going to talk to you about why. Um, yeah, that's been my experience. Yes, it is more challenging, but then there are books that are working really well. That's sort of crime, thriller, 
um but with a great voice yes um i think could can and there's there's definitely room for more of those in that um good girl's guide to murder or the karen mcmanus vein my last question is and i I always try and ask this of people what are your main tips for pre-published writers and i must say as as the first audience of their work really um beyond family and friends and so on um i think people will be listening really closely to what you think i think the first thing to um to keep in, keep front of mind throughout is that agents really want to read your work they really want to find exciting new writers um and don't be put off by the process and by it feeling daunting um be confident in your approaches i've had letters before saying things like oh you probably won't have time to read this or you probably won't uh-huh. want to read this but just you know have that confidence in yourself and in your writing if you've polished it as much as you possibly can and you feel it's ready to go um then don't yeah don't worry work on your covering letter as much as you possibly can that is going to be it's almost like your interview right um so um but don't make it too long keep it concise and clear um and try not I know it is disheartening when you do get rejections but just keep going just persevere there are so many great stories about manuscripts where um they were turned down by num- many you know many people I mean Harry Potter's a very famous one isn't yes. it um and it wasn't Catch-22 meant to be called Catch-19 originally and then oh, it was really? called Catch-22 because it, 22 publishers turned it down or something like I that. I haven't heard that, um, but I, I mean, like maybe that story. that's an urban myth. <laughs> but, um, but I think um, it's so subjective and it's worth remembering that too. Mm. Um, you might not be hitting the, quite the right people or at the right moment. Um, so just keep at it and keep trying. And, and many people also write a manuscript and then, I mean, this might sound really horrendous to some people, but that isn't the manuscript that ends up going somewhere so that's almost like the rehearsal and actually that can kind of help you really hone your skills but then it might be the second manuscript that takes off I've Um, often come across that yes but it's also the same for published writers too who you might see have have written a few books before they then write something that actually really takes off as well so some of it is luck and timing but a lot of it is determination and perseverance too do you expect people to submit to more than one person at a time? Yes, yeah. I mean, I think that's that is that's absolutely fine and that's totally normal. I think it's good just to keep everybody updated. So if you're receiving offers of representation, then let the other agents who are considering it know mm. and give them time to read it if they haven't read it already and come back to you. And I think just if you're professional about the whole process too and clear with people and keep people informed then you know that avoids wasting any anyone's time if you've already decided or um uh you know i think it is important to explore all options as well and to find someone that you really click with and connect with that's brilliant thank you stephanie so much i'd like to thank christopher pett for editing and producing this episode of pre-published You can subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. And if you've enjoyed this episode, please leave us a review. We'd love suggestions for future themes and guests too. You can also join us on Twitter at prepubpodcast and find me at my website, which is sophiabennett.com.